दिस इज द लेक्चर रिकॉर्डिंग फॉर द सेकेंड ऑफ गांधीज एसेज इन द लिटरी थ्योरी कॉर्स विच इज द एस ऑन एजुकेशन बिफोर आई एक्चुअली स्टार्ट टॉकिंग अबाउट गांधीज एसे आई वॉन्ट टू फर्स्ट गिव लिटल बिट ऑफ अ कॉन्टेक्स लाइक आई डेट इन द लास्ट लेक्चर इज वेल about what gandhi was trying to do and how he was trying to sort of reconfigure the way that reform and um an indian culture also in a lot of senses was being relooked at how he rearticulated these ideas which seemed to be representative of uh, you know a backward orthodox culture but he rearticulated these ideas and created a, a revolutionary a kind of a reformist movement on the basis of these seemingly unorthodox ideas so much so and he um, and he created such a version of this uh, you know this already existing idea of um, an all pervasive hindu society actually that that's what he claimed himself to be even though he was he was overtly um, tolerant of other cultures and of other uh, religions um as well but he revolutionized he revolutionized his ideas or this this already existing version of the traditional hindu society to such a large extent that without even understanding the impact that his ideas could have on the larger uh, portion of indian society he was able to create a mass movement a truly mass movement as opposed to what the congressmen had been doing earlier because most of the participants of congress and most of the adherents of congress before uh, gandhi were people who were part of the upper middle class they were people who had english or western education to some extent so they gathered and they um, they understood politics from uh, if not from a completely western perspective then from a largely western perspective and to give you a sense of uh, how he did all of these i am going to read out a small section uh, from an essay written by gandhi uh, written about gandhi by somebody called ashish nandi those of you who know about him it's a wonderful thing those of you who don't you should definitely read up at least a little bit about him and definitely read up the things that he has written he's a wonderful wonderful he's one of the most prominent political theorists um, of our times the name of the essay is the final encounter the politics of the assassination of gandhi this is part of a book that i had circulated earlier in class and if there is a need i can do so again um either as a soft copy uh, but i would really prefer it if i can just hand over the book to you guys and you can make copies and send and give it back to me later on <clears throat> anyway so um he says that um um there are two basic um you know there are two basic ideas in the indian society that gandhi actually focused on which was one was the centrality of the periphery of indian culture and the acceptance of femininity and these are two things that gandhi constantly talked about throughout his um, you know throughout his political and social campaigns i'm going to read out a small section from this book and then we are going to uh, sort of correlate it with what uh, gandhi talks about in his essay on education as well so um, the quote begins in spite of erecting this elaborate and magnificent structure of dissent gandhi never claimed he was a revolutionary or a reformer someone consciously reinterpreting traditional texts to justify new modes of life as so many other social reformers in india had previously done he was convinced that he was a sanatani hindu a genuine orthodox full-blooded indian not a social reformer out to alter hinduism or indian culture
he was he seemed to argue a counter reformist a revivalist and a committed traditionalist according to him he represented continuity and the brahmanic educated westernized middle classes represented change he was he claimed the insider the upper echelons of the hindu society the brahmanic cognoscenti they were the interlopers and again not only did gandhi indulge in this inner speech he went on to give it institutional forms he mobilized the numerically preponderant non brahmanic sectors of the hindus the lowest strata of society and the politically passive peripheries the low castes and untouchables the peasants and villagers taking advantage of numbers he began legitimizing a new collective ethic that threatened to challenge the traditional indian concepts of individual salvation responsibility and action geared to the value of self awareness the concepts of private knowledge and self knowledge political non participation and the belief that the political authorities were not central to life it was a remarkable achievement of gandhi that so many sensitive intellectuals took him at his word what the mahatma was doing did not seem very revolutionary to them at first sight and in fact they were not entirely wrong gandhi's political innovations overtly did seem compatible with hindu orthodoxy and there was nothing intrinsically non indian about his social and political theories however it must be remembered that like all major civilizations the indic civilization included a plethora of cultural strains the distinctive identifier of a major civilization is always the composite whole that makes it that makes of its diverse contradictory constituents by giving them different emphases and weights to the various norms and subcultures within it The danger that Gandhi posed to the greater Sanskritic tradition was exactly this. He introduced a different system of weightages and threatened to alter the basic characteristics of Indian society by making its cultural periphery its center. Now it's the last part I I think the uh, you know the larger portion of the quotation is fairly um, self explanatory but I want to focus on the last part of what Ashish Nandi actually talks about he says that uh, what Gandhi did specifically was that he introduced a different system of weightages and this different system of weightages giving more weightage to one particular aspect of Indian society or culture or identity as opposed to the one which was prevalently popular prevalently popular what he did was that he threatened to alter the basic characteristics of indian society and what he did was that he created a sense of the cultural um you know of of cultural of of a pan indian cultural identity and this pan indian cultural identity which according to him was being pushed into the periphery he brought it back into the center and that's exactly what he does when he dismisses and when he rejects western ideas of democratic politics when he rejects english or western education and he pushes all of these ideas which were coterminous with progress which were coterminous with modernity he pushes them to the periphery and he brings back 
the Indian identity, the core of the Indian identity to the center. And he says, if we move along with these kind of ideas, that is the only way that we can make progress. Now, from a post-colonial perspective, this is this is this is the dreamland of all post-colonial theorists. That's, if you can achieve that, if you can understand the difference between the self and the other, and if if you can push the self from the peripheries into the center, and if you can have that kind of an objective overturning of the colonial other onto the periphery and the colonized self at the center and re-articulate that colonized self at the center within the historical perspective of the 20th century, then that is basically uh, one very, very revolutionary way of articulating the change that comes about in the colonized identity. Because if you remember the kind of discussions that we've already had in class, They've all uh, sort of talked about exactly this kind of an existential crisis that happens because of colonization. Once the British have been in India for a very long time and when you start thinking, okay, they are going to go away in a little while or you hope that they are going to go away in a little while during the freedom movement anyway, then what? Who are we if the white man doesn't define us the way that he has been doing for the past 300-400 odd years and if he's not around to define us in negation and if it falls to us to figure out who we are then exactly who are we how are how are we going to go about creating that sense of identity because what was ours 400 years ago we've already dismissed it as being fairly orthodox We've dismissed it as being so orthodox that we don't want to talk about it anymore. And what the, what the Britishers have done to us, what the colonizers have done to us is, um, is their version of our identity. So agreeing with that would also mean, um, you know, propagating this colonial identity far more than it needs to be done. So where does one draw the line? Does one go back to the pre-colonial golden past or does one actually agree to the fact that some sort of mutation of identity is um, it's, it's inevitable, it has to happen. Gandhi in certain senses comes up with, uh, with a third alternative when he says that why should we only why should we compete with the rest of the world? Why should we say that the only progress that is possible is with the industrial revolution? It has happened for the West uh, because with the West, uh, industrialization is the first step which leads to colonization and to the justification of colonization and to the power which comes along with colonization and which is needed to even venture out for colonialism, right? So um, Gandhi says, why is that actually even required? Which is one of the reasons why Khadi was such a central symbol for his... Um, for his theory of culture, for his theory of national politics or politics of nationalism. Uh, because he thought that if everybody, if people are self-sufficient, if you can look at people, every individual, irrespective of their caste or creed, if you can look at them as responsible individuals and if you can cultivate in them a sense of self-discipline and a sense of self-responsibility, you can create societies 
on the basis of that fundamental unit you can create societies which are responsible for themselves and which are going to look after themselves and after their own um, you know after their fellow citizens as well of course it's a fairly utopian kind of an idea but a lot of his political and economic uh, even dietary uh, theories were predicated on this idea of strengthening the self so that the society can actually be built on the basis of that self again i have talked about this before but this insistence on the self rather than looking at all indians through the prism of caste class gender and saying that people are essentially different because of these kind of social constructs that in itself was a revolutionary enough idea because what colonialism did effectively like all oppressive systems what it does primarily and fundamentally is that it takes away that sense of individuality it takes away that sense of individual authority and autonomy and when that happens then it is very difficult for an individual to think outside of um you know outside of their own existential crises and think about the larger issues at all or even articulate who they are at a very very fundamental level so the hegemony is complete when that kind of an existential crisis sort of seeps in right and gandhi has in a certain sense he has a cure for that kind of a thing so in education it's a fairly small article even though gandhi has talked about education at a lot of other places uh but this is in a certain sense the highlight of um what he says in a lot of other places including in young india a lot of articles that he writes there are also about education so um one of the main things when the, the idea or the issue that he begins with is what is the meaning of education if it simply means a knowledge of letters it is merely an instrument and an instrument may be well used or abused the same instrument that may be used to cure a patient may be used to take his life and so may a knowledge of letters and it is it and fundamentally you can see hints of so many of the uh, of the most influential sort of theories of uh, the 20th century in what gandhi is talking about but gandhi is not interested in those kind of socio political philosophical sort of theories at all he is only interested in practical politics uh, and practicable politics in in a certain sense but you see this idea that the power that he associates with knowledge which can take life but it can also give life and that's the same kind of idea that uh, people like michel foucault are also talking about albeit at a completely different you know uh, within a completely different socio historical context and in a completely different space altogether but the basic uh, fundamental idea is exactly the same that knowledge has that kind of power right uh, uh, a well used um, you know knowledge of letters can actually give life it can create cultures but it can also take away the identity of cultures which is exactly what the colonizers have been doing for a very long time said elaborates on the same fundamental ideas albeit not in these terms and not in these words but it's the same thing right so he says to teach boys reading writing and arithmetic is called primary education and then he comes back exactly to what he does in every um you know in every place which is what ashish nandi also talks about he takes an idea which is taken for granted it's naturalized and then he deconstructs that idea and he questions the basics of uh you know basic um basic faith that people show and they take for granted the basic meanings which are associated with ideas he says this is primary education but who says that this has to be primary education who gave validation to this version of primary education he says a peasant earns his bre- bread honestly 
but what is the use of a knowledge of letters to peasants so people have to have contextualized information and contextualized knowledge and that knowledge can actually come from practical ways rather than just a western academic insistence on knowing certain um, you know knowing a certain number of subjects and he says on page number 200 in my book he says do you wish to make him discontented with his cottage or his lot and this hits the idea of education at a very very fundamental level um because what exactly is the um is the ambition of education what is the purpose of education if the purpose of education is just so that every boy and girl would know a little bit of geography a little bit of social sciences a little bit of maths english history and so on and so forth but if they can't use it if they don't have any application for it in what is going to be their life then what is the use of it but then again if you uh, if you contrast it with a, a parallel sort of um, you know a parallel sort of a philosophical tradition which has equal currency in the early 20th century which is marxism marx also talks about education how education and marx and althusser and gramsci all of these people talk about how education in itself is also isa it's it is part of the ideological state apparatus right it is um, it is that structure which presents itself as objective knowledge but actually in real sense it is not objective at all the only ambition that the kind of knowledge that we have what we call vocational knowledge or vocational education even nowadays right the only ambition that that kind of uh, knowledge or that kind of uh, education has is to have uh, is to enable people to develop the skill set which is required to um to run the economic machinery the capitalist economic machinery and in an even better manner so the people who earn a lot of money investing their time energy resources intellect into the economic machinery are the only ones who can make that much more 10 times the money that they are making for the economic machinery itself right so you people learn marketing people learn um pr people learn how to generally make money within a capitalist system so if uh, so you know he's he's basically he's questioning what education is about education has to be a moral kind of education which is the which which is a kind of a fundamental necessity for gandhi throughout his political theories so he's saying that if education has a moral grounding then its ambition has to be so that it can it can help people create a sense of um self and a sense of individuality which can give them happiness right uh, not discontent in that sense it has to teach them what is morally right and what is morally wrong so what they have they should be aware of and they should uh, they should build on and what they don't have they should um, have the moral resolve to stand against it and he's talked about it at length in the earlier essay so i'm not going to go into that right he says carried away by the flood of western thought we come to the conclusion without weighing pros and cons that we should give this kind of education to people so he's saying we're doing this only and only because we want to follow what the westerners are doing again we've had a lot of discussion about this so i'm not going to go into details uh, on this then later on in page number 200 he says uh, if this is true education i must emphatically say that the sciences i have enumerated above i have never been able to use for controlling my senses therefore whether you take elementary education or higher education it is not required for the main thing it does not make of us men it does not enable us to do our duty so what gandhi is doing is and the idea of duty or the idea of dharma 
is fairly central to the orthodox north indian vedic um, idea of hinduism right so he isn't talking about a revolutionary kind of an idea for most hindus this is something that they are completely aware of but they have rejected it because they're moving towards according to gandhi they're moving towards a westernized idea of education and westernized idea of morality or of the separating or the divorcing of morality from education from what gandhi talks about or what gandhi says um, in his scathing attack on western civilization and on western education right so he is just rearticulating ideas which are traditional uh, hindu ideas right so uh, um and the reader then questions him he says if you would not have had this education uh, because gandhi did go to london and he was very very well educated or if i would not have had this education would you have been able to explain it to me and uh, again uh, we've talked about the dialogic structure of the essays so uh, please note that uh, here as well uh, gandhi says you have spoken well but my answer is simple i do not for one moment believe that my life would have been wasted had i not received higher or lower education then on page number 201 he says this is the third line from the top both you and i have come under the bane of what is mainly false education i have not run down a knowledge of letters under all circumstances all i've shown is that we must not make of it a fetish and that is basically what is for gandhi the most important idea or most important thing to take away from this whole discussion he is saying that i am not saying that a knowledge of letters is not required for people who need it they should definitely have it but we should not make of it a fetish again fetish in a very marxist sort of uh, sense we have discussed this earlier uh, for those of you who don't know what it is please get back to me and we can discuss it later on so he says you should not make of it a fetish because when you do that when you invest this idea of education with unnecessary and magical and supernatural powers which are not intrinsic uh, to this education at all it's not an intrinsic value of this education but it's been imposed from outside right that is when it becomes uh, problematic because uh, when western education becomes a fetish then indian education or indian morality or uh, a sense of cultural identity that becomes secondary right and that becomes a problem at the end of this um, um paragraph he says it now follows that it is not necessary to make this education compulsory our ancient school system is enough character building has the first place in it and that is primary education a building erected on that foundation will last so he is saying that that is fine if that is required then that should be done but the ancient indian education system in which character building is the first part that should be given center stage now what is really important here is that if gandhi is rejecting the western idea of education he is not he is nowhere saying that even the indian idea of education is also or can also be made into a fetish and it should be followed because it in itself has some moral or supernatural powers he is actually giving practical examples and saying that for day to day life what you need is a strength of character rather than a necessary strength of letters or of um, you know of bookish knowledge which only some people can use because if everybody is educated and no Nobody does the work of the farmers, of the menial labors, of the dalits, of all the others. Uh, you know, of all the other sections of society. 
then the society is not going to sustain itself it's not going to be able to sustain itself right so that is important and then uh, the reader asks do i then understand that you do not consider english education necessary for home rule and then he says my answer is both yes and no and he says very interestingly gandhi says the foundation that macaulay laid of education has enslaved us i do not suggest that he had any such intention but that has been the result now whether what macaulay wanted or did not want is of course up for questioning and that's a whole different discussion altogether but he says that what macaulay laid a foundation of that education has enslaved us again gandhi comes back again and again to that very central tenet of his political philosophy that we have to take responsibility of what we have done not out of moral weakness not out of traditional or cultural weakness or poverty but because we have we have taken things at their face value and we have not uh, we've not analyzed or criticized the things which have been given to us by the west so he says that that education the western education has enslaved us it's not liberated us so that's false education that's not the purpose of education uh, the last three lines of this page read great efforts are being made to revive a knowledge of welsh amongst welshmen again this is a tactic that he's used earlier also right so he uses examples from the british to show that the way that they understand their education is very different from the way that indians are understanding um, you know the english education right so even the english themselves if we have to follow the english we have to pick the right examples in the right impulses cultural impulses to follow right if they give us their education we have to be a little wary of following it blindly if they are reviving their own regional uh, cultures and their own regional knowledges knowledge systems then we have to be able to do that as well if we have to follow them let's pick out the right things to follow right so in that sense he is undercutting the colonial discourse in a certain sense by using examples from their own culture in the last uh, Uh, as we talked about how he uses english proverbs to undercut their own um, uh, proclamations at least in india right so on 202 he goes on to say uh, that that's what the welsh are doing they're making the welsh children speak welsh and what is our condition we write to each other in faulty english and from this even our ma's are not free our best thoughts are expressed in english unfortunately that's still the case right gandhi is writing this um at least 80 to 90 years uh, you know um before today and in the last 80 90 years not much has changed at all which is rather unfortunate but there it is right um it says it's it is worth noting that by receiving english education we have enslaved the nation hypocrisy tyranny etc have increased english knowing indians have not hesitated to cheat cheat and strike terror into the people now this is another interesting uh, sort of um, an overturning of the usual colonial discourse which says um which very obviously which very obviously says that um you know the natives are prone to hypocrisy they are prone to lying they are prone to cheating and it is only and only through colonial education or reeducation that they can actually be um taught truth honesty progress science rationality common sense and so on and so forth right gandhi is saying the exact opposite of that he is saying that those of us who have been taught in the classical or in the orthodox in the traditional hindu way 
um, where character building is important they do not have these traits of hypocrisy or of cheating or of lying it's only the english speaking indians who do not hesitate to cheat and strike terror into the people right so he is overturning colonial discourse i think fairly um, intentionally and fairly strongly and he says i became a barrister i may not speak my mother tongue and that someone else should have to translate to me from my own language is this not absolutely absurd and he says is it not a sign of slavery so he uh, again um, he is able to see uh, he is able to very acutely sort of um, pinpoint the fact that slavery is not just political slavery and it is a slavery of culture it is a slavery of identity and that is brought about to a large extent by the hegemonic impositions of language and through that imposition of language and through the alienation of the indigenous languages uh, the colonizers have been able to alienate people from their own traditional identities and hence create this crisis of identity wherein people would rather speak in half baked english and not know who they are or where their loyalties lie because the foundations of their education is wrong if the foundation is that of individual strength and character building then they would know who they are and their convictions would be or would can be the foundations of creating a strong uh, you know social identity or even political identity and then in the late in the next paragraph he says something that he says in so many other places but i just want to highlight that he uses the term here the disease of civilization that we cannot altogether do without english education he says that civilization is actually a disease uh, gandhi was opposed to the western idea of civilization and he did almost always throughout his political uh, you know campaigns and throughout his political speeches he tried to highlight and uncover like he has done here before how the idea of civilization that was propagated by the british was actually a way or was actually a system of slavery and hegemony right so it is problematic and uh, later on in the same paragraph he says those who have studied english will have to teach morality to their progeny through their mother tongue and to teach them another indian language but when they have grown up they may learn english the ultimate aim being that we would not need it the object of making money thereby should be eschewed even in learning english to such a limited extent we will have to consider what we should learn through it and what we should not so even if we learn english we have to know why we are learning it what we are learning it for right and uh, exactly what we get out of it rather than getting enslaved and enthralled by it so much that we cannot do without it and we 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 equate it almost simultaneously with uh, with a certain sense of modern civilization which is which, which is just um, which is uh, misleading to say the least and then there is a talk about what education should be given this portion is fairly um, obvious and this portion is fairly um, this portion is fairly easy to read he says a religious and by religious he means ethical education should be the first thing he doesn't mean that people should become orthodox religious zealots he equates religion with ethics and he says that uh, some hindus should know arabic and persian some mohammedans parsis and sanskrit several northerners and westerners should learn tamil a universal language for india should be hindi with the option of writing it in persian or nagari characters 
in order that the hindus and the mohammedans may have close relationships relations it is necessary to know both the characters and he says through our slavery the nation has been enslaved and it will be free with our freedom this is an important quote so he is conscious of the difference in the religious identities between all of these different sects but he is careful and he is politically correct in saying that if we have to have a composite uh, identity at all there has to be an interchange of uh, not just linguistic culture but also identity um, you know uh, identity politics in a certain sense and they have to be coterminous with each other and he says that because we are slaves to another culture because individually as as individuals we have given away our autonomy uh, because we thought that by giving away our autonomy we are getting in return civilization progress science democracy all of those things that the west has in in a certain sense it seems that they have perfected uh, but it's only enslaved us like it's enslaved the rest of the west and it can only be freed with our own freedom once we break away from these only then can we be free and figure out exactly who we need to be right and then the reader says that the question of religious education is very different difficult and editor says india will never be godless rank atheism cannot flourish in that land our religious teachers are hypocritical and selfish they have to be approached the mullahs the dastoors the brahmins hold the key in their hands but if they will not have the good sense the energy that we have derived from the english education will have to be devoted to religious education so he says that people who preach religious education do it in a very very wrong way the true purpose of religious education is ethics it is not the blind orthodoxy and um, following of superstitions and traditions the way that it has become now uh, and these are the last four lines he says in order to restore india to its pristine condition we have to return to it in our own civilization there will naturally be progress retrogression reforms and reactions but one effort is required and that is the that is to drive out western civilization all else will follow he comes back to the same political assertion as everywhere else but it is also very interesting that he uses a term he says uh, we have to restore india to its pristine condition right as if india before the british was in a pristine condition at all that's a little bit of a wishful thinking on gandhi's part um, but we can have a discussion about it elsewhere i hope the i hope the fairly easy chapter has become at least contextually situated in the theory of postcolonialism if you guys have any questions you know how to approach me uh, best of luck